So, before I tell you the verse that I'm going to be talking about today, I thought I'd warn you and suggest that you set your expectations appropriately low for, <laughs> for what I'm going to say, okay? And uh, I was thinking I could start with maybe something embarrassing about my kids or and make them squirm in the rows over there, but I thought, no, i do that plenty outside of church. I don't need to do that in church. So I, I thought I'd just make fun of myself a tiny bit and tell you that about a year, maybe 18 months ago, I bought a very good book on preaching. And the, I'm reading through it, really excited. I'm like sitting up at night thinking, this is amazing. This is just such good information, so encouraging, giving me different tools. Well, I, w I want to tell you that because I've only got halfway through the book so far, <laughs> okay? <laughs> so there might be some nuggets of goodness in here, but there's not going to be the perfect sermon. Anyway, we'll get on with it. Um, our verse today is from James chapter 1, verse 27. Give you a second to find that if you're looking. All right. It says, pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction <coughs> and to keep himself unspotted from the world. Now, we're going to take this verse apart a little bit and gather some meaning from other places in the Bible. And I pray that when I'm done, we'll all have something practical to consider this afternoon. Um, in the Sunday school class that Monica and I hold downstairs, uh, the kids are fifth and sixth graders, aged 10 to 12, roughly. I really like to teach the kids what I wish I'd been taught at their age. Um, we do do the usual, like prepare the kids with good Bible reading habits. Um, we remind them to pray, encourage them to be respectful to their parents, all the stuff that you'd be pleased to hear. But as well as that, I really like to encourage them how to read their Bibles. We give them the fundamental tips to help them understand it, and we prepare them so that they are less likely to be fooled by false teaching. And that's a, that's a big deal for me. Um, so we tell them the uh, Bible is not like any other book. The author is not like any other author. So... It shouldn't be read just casually, just like any other book that you might have on the shelf. So here's an example of what we do. We tell the kids we're going to be good detectives, and we're going to find out facts from different places in the Bible. And it's almost like we're collecting puzzle pieces, okay? And God, who authored this thing, has put these treasures all throughout the Bible. And we can gather them together and have a clear picture of what he wants to teach us. Um, we look up words to make sure or certain that we know their meaning. Uh, we read the dictionary definition a lot of the time, which does, you know, that might sound a bit scary to some people, like looking something up in the dictionary, that's, that's like so old-fashioned. But honestly, these days, a couple of taps on your cell phone or your tablet, you've got the whole dictionary, you've got the history of the word, all that good stuff. So I tell them not to be afraid of doing a bit of study to find out what 
God is trying to say. All right. The last thing we do is we ask them, was this message or this verse meant solely for the biblical audience that they're talking to? Or does it have an application for us today? And those are some pretty cool they're not all of the things that covers how to break down a verse, but there's some good ones, and uh, the kids are doing really well down there. Anyway, so let's do a mixture of those things, and we'll take apart today's verse. So pure religion, okay, I'm going to read it again. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction, and to keep himself unspotted from the world. So... One of the words, pure, is pretty simple. I don't need to look that one up. We know that it means clean. You might say it means without foreign elements or alien elements. Uh, you could say as originally intended. If someone passed you a glass of water and said this is pure water, you would not be expecting to find blobs of <laughs> whatever kind of matter in it. If you're talking about pure, it is undefiled, it's clean all that good stuff. Uh, the word religion, I did have to look this one up because it's, it means a lot of different things to different people. Uh, Webster's says, the service and worship of God or the supernatural, commitment or devotion to religious faith or observance, it also says a personal set of institutionalized system of religious attitudes, beliefs and practices. Now, just for me reading that, you can tell that there is a huge span of what this word religion means to different people. But remember what our verse says. It doesn't say any old religion, and it doesn't say whatever your idea of religion is. God says pure religion and undefiled before God is this. So it's a bit like God is saying to the reader, pay attention you may think that you're religious. You may think you're even worshipping God, like the right God. You may think that you're doing pretty well in your life. You may even think of yourself as undefiled before God. But God says, I am going to state clearly what pure religion and undefiled before God really is. And by doing so, I'm going to give you a, a measuring stick with which to test yourself. Okay, that's God's kind of challenge there. So, what does this pure religion look like? God says, firstly, that a follower of, follower of his religion and an undefiled life will visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction. God mentions visiting the fatherless and widows first because they are the very groups that God knows to be most often neglected. Or you might say, moved lower down the list of priorities on our to-do list. I can imagine some of us might say, well, I don't personally know a fatherless person, or maybe I don't know a widow. Then let us understand it also to mean that those around us that we know do have needs, or as the verse puts it, anybody in their affliction. So would you agree that this sounds a little similar to Jesus' command to love our neighbor? It reminds me of the huge challenge in James 4.17, which says, Therefore to him that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not, to him it is sin. It also reminds me of James 1.22, uh, 
which tells us to be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving our own selves. God is firstly reminding us that his pure religion is marked by action and not just by words. Now, before we read how God concludes what pure religion has been like, let's take a little detour and talk about the God that I keep mentioning several times. I, I don't want to presume that everybody listening knows exactly who this God is. So let's talk about him for a second. The God of the Bible is unlike any other God, little g, that you have ever heard of. The God of the Bible is almighty, and by definition, almighty means there is none more mighty, okay? The God of the Bible is the creator. He created everything from nothing, and by the way, he didn't use pre-existing matter and arrange it into what we see today, okay? The God of the Bible knows everything, and just in case we aren't convinced or don't believe that's true, we can look at Psalm 147 verse 5. It says, great is our Lord and of great power. His understanding is infinite. And by the way, one more thing. The God of the Bible states very clearly in Isaiah 45 verse 5, I am the Lord and there is none else. There is no God beside me. I girded thee, though thou hast not known me. Isaiah 45, 6 continues and says, They that may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none beside me. I am the Lord, and there is none else. I think he said about three, three or four times there that there is no other God. Okay, That is so awesome that he puts it so clearly. And you, you can't argue against that. Uh, the God of the Bible is unique. There is and forever will be only one. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever thou hast formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. I'll say lastly, uh, another point about God. He wasn't created, he wasn't formed in the minds of men, and he didn't rise up over time from a lesser being and somehow attain God's status, okay? The verse before tells us, from everlasting to everlasting. He is God, he's always been God. All right, so back to our verse. Uh, God's telling us about what his pure religion looks like, and that an undefiled life will be marked by loving action, similar to loving our neighbor. And the last part of the verse says, and to keep himself unspotted from the world. This is an interesting phrase, and uh, it really draws kind of a picture in my, in my head. I think it's l beautiful language, and I just, I just love, I, I couldn't say it any better, basically. <laughs> okay, so the world, let's talk about that for a second. The Bible's got a bunch to say about the world, and it usually isn't good. John 15, 18 says, If the world hate you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love his own, but ye are not of the world. But I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. This talks about the world being unbelieving people, as well as being the, the physical world. We see a separation between believers and the rest of the world. And the world 
is spoken of in an obviously negative light. Colossians 3.2 warns us to set your affection on things above, not on the things of the earth. You could, you could swap the earth out there with the world. We're to look up and not down. We see another separation of heavenly things and worldly things, and the things of the earth are always lesser. 2 Corinthians 4.18 says, while we, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. The temporal, the world, the earth, once more being lesser than the eternal. So, we're even given an example of someone who left the faith because of the distractions of the world. We've got Demas in 2 Timothy 4.10. For Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. James 4.4 says, Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God. Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. It may seem like a a no-brainer, but it's worth mentioning that God doesn't warn us of things in his word without good reason. In fact, any reader looking at any warning, no matter how small, from a loving Heavenly Father would be very sensible to consider his words. So the phrase, keep himself unspotted from the world, seems to suggest that if we're not careful, the world can spread its negative effect onto us, like gathering spots of dirt on a clean outfit. It's interesting to note that the Bible has many other verses that speak of sin and evil as being similar in a way to dirt or uncleanness. How about this one? Proverbs 30 verse 12. There is a generation that is pure in their own eyes and yet is not washed from their filthiness. John 13:11 says, For he knew who should betray him, talking of Judas. Therefore he said, Ye are not all clean. 2 Corinthians 6.17 says, Wherefore come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. God doesn't want us to have the smallest part to do with the world, the sin, and evil. We can easily see the connection between sin and dirt here, and just to drive home the point, think of the offer of God to deal with our sins, to clean us up, and to get us out of the dirt. Isaiah 1.18 says, Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. God alone, the God we've just described, has the power to clean us from the kind of dirt that we cannot clean ourselves. God lovingly gives us clear examples of people being saved from their hopeless state and he includes details that show precisely how their salvation came about listen to this um, from psalm 40 verse 2 he brought me up also out of an horrible pit out of the miry clay and set my feet upon a rock and established my goings now this is super cool not just because it tells of someone being saved from sin 
I should actually say, the damning effects of sin. Illustrated here by being stuck in miry clay. Excuse my phone, it's beeping. Stop, stop that. All right. Um, out of the miry clay, and uh, the verse says, he set my feet upon a rock to establish my goings. The verse before says this, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined unto me and heard my cry. The person called out to the Lord to save them. The Lord listened to that prayer, and the Lord only brought them out of the miry clay. That's just such a beautiful picture of someone getting saved. God is an amazing communicator. He not only prepared and preserved his word over thousands of years, but gave us examples that are understandable across all of that time. For example, God knows that we understand things get dirtied or spotted by proximity to dirt. Dirt doesn't magically appear on clean clothes, despite what your children might say. Um, I'm about to share some real deep thoughts. Get ready for this. If we are wise and want to avoid getting dirty, we will avoid getting close to dirt. Right? Pretty, pretty simple. If we are, <laughs> if we are unwise, we may wander from a clean environment and approach dirt. We may even decide to hang around others that enjoy the dirt. We may even bring dirt back into our home where it could affect our other family members. Picture this, if you will. A pig in a pig pen, okay? Wallowing in the mud. Very wet, very brown, very dirty. Every now and again, the pig jumps up in the air, turns and smiles for the camera, and splashes down, causing mud to spray beyond the confines of the pig pen. God uses the illustration of dirt because he knows this is how sin can affect us. We often risk getting dangerously close to sin. We kid ourselves that we are still in 100% control and we can avoid getting dirty or that we can move back to safety at any moment and then, before you know it, splash. So, there's good news and bad news. Good news tonight is for the believers, those that are saved already. God wanted us to know what his pure religion is. He shows us an example of what an undefiled life looks like. And he wants to warn us about staying unspotted from the world. But you might say, why do you say those verses are for believers? Well, if we back up to verse 19 in James, he clearly starts with, wherefore my beloved brethren. James is writing to those he considers brethren, that is saved believers, those who are called brethren or brothers and sisters because they have the same heavenly father. The Bible says when a person is saved, they're adopted and have a new heavenly father. The good news is that not only these verses, but so many more throughout the Bible contain warnings for our benefit, promises for our protection, comfort, peace, and on top of that, God promises to never leave us nor forsake us. Hebrews 13.5 says, Let your conversation be without covetousness, covetousness sorry, and be content with such things as ye have, for he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. 
The good news for the believer is that when we fall, and we do, and when we get spotted by the world, we have a sure way to be fully restored back in fellowship with God. Despite our unfaithfulness to him, God is always faithful to us. John, uh, 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, I said there was some bad news. Here it comes. The bad news is that if you aren't saved, then many of the verses that I've mentioned in, in the Bible aren't yet for you. Um, if you aren't saved, then you are spotted by this world and by your own sin. If you aren't saved and know that things aren't right, you may have been trying to get yourself clean. Can I tell you something? It ain't gonna work. You can turn over a new leaf or stop some of your bad habits, even replace them with good ones. But all you're doing is putting a fresh coat of paint over a spotted foundation. And guess what? Yourself and people around you may only see and celebrate the clean, fresh, outer layer of paint. But God, the one I talked about earlier, sees right through to your spotted foundation. And I'm not trying to be mean or make you feel bad, but I'm saying this because I was there once too. I know exactly what it's like to know that something is majorly wrong between God and me. And I thank God he didn't leave me in that state but helped me to see the destruction that was heading my way. And you probably guessed I took the opportunity to repent and call out to him to save me. Um, let me help you today, if you're unsaved, by recommending that you agree with God on your condition and seek his solution to the problem. So, final challenge for believers we heard what the undefiled Christian life ought to look like and how we ought to be unspotted from the world. Our life should show love in action and our life should show defensive measures to protect ourselves from getting spotted, right? Tell me, does your life look like that? Are you doing your best for yourself and your family to stay unspotted from the world? Maybe you are, and I'm sure many are, but even the best of us would do well to always ask God to reveal any obstacle that may be hindering ourselves and those around us. It sounds from this verse that we started with that the world can be alluring. Do you think it would be safe to say that we'd do best to keep our love of the world in check? Well, you may say, what do you mean by that? Well, thanks for asking, I'm going to answer. <laughs> Simply put, we are to love God more, okay? We are to keep our love for God in the correct range and give it the correct priority. And on the other hand, we are to keep our affection for the world and the things of the world in the correct range and give that the correct priority too. Now, I don't want people to go beating themselves up too much. God did make a bunch of things enjoyable and God made things like beauty and amazing colors and designs and Man, I could, I could, I could just go on. Uh, and man often mimic, mimics the beauty found in nature to come up with the latest design, whether it may be a car or, let's say, a random thought, a motorcycle. I don't know. That's fine. Uh, it's not a problem to be very fond 
of something like that, right? But the second the love of it elevates out of balance or even begins to challenge your love of the things of God, for example, going to church, reading your Bible, witnessing, etc., the second it does that, it's time to act fast and put it back in its rightful place. While you think about your own condition before God, and I think about mine, and think about our spottedness, remember that God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Remember, God warns us in 1 Corinthians 10:12, Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. I'm just reminding you as I remind myself, because guess what? Us silly humanoids often think that we are doing a little better than we really are. Maybe you have some spots from the world that you do know about. Maybe you used to be concerned about that kind of thing, but the busyness of life and family and work, all those things have stacked up, and they've really tired you out and worn you down. Maybe it's time for you to recommit, to get back on board, to ask God to forgive us for allowing ourselves to get too close and cozy with the world. Maybe some of us simply want to thank God for revealing spots in our lives and helping us gain victory over them. Two things and I'm done. Remember this, believer, whatever your state, you have so many awesome promises in this Bible to hold on to. What a comfort this book is, and what assurance it holds, and what hope. There's nothing like it. But remember this, unbeliever, you too can have a bunch of awesome promises to hold on to, but you have to come the one and only way that any believer comes. Agree with God what he says about your condition today, and come and get clean.